Welcome to Women, Conscription and War, a podcast series focused on the actions, motivations and experiences of Melbourne women in the anti-Vietnam War and anti-conscription protests between 1965 and 1972. In case you haven't listened to the introduction to this project and where I give some history of the Vietnam War and conscription in Australia, a few things to keep in mind. First, this is in no way an attack on Vietnam veterans. I am the daughter of one myself. This is filling a gap, not opposing or challenging. Second, I don't necessarily agree with everything my interviewees say, so don't get angry at me for reporting their views. Third, I don't always give the name of the person who's speaking when I use excerpts from interviews. They're always credited on the website, which you'll find at womenconscriptionwar.com. You'll also find complete footnotes for the other work that I've used. Lastly, please note that I have edited these interviews for use in the podcast for clarity and to really hone in on the relevant ideas. Um, it, it was not our place to go and tell another country what government they should have. There were a variety of motivations for why women got involved in protesting against Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War and against the National Service Act, and that's what this episode focuses on. Some women protested against both of those things right from the start, and saw them as inextricably linked together. Some were, at least initially, more concerned with national service, again for a variety of reasons, while for others it was the war itself that incensed and provoked them. The issue of motivation is one that books about Australia in this period particularly seem to gloss over, or authors dismissively lump everyone into easy categories. I've loosely grouped these excerpts together to give a sense of the range of perspectives. We'll start with some of the reasons for objecting to the war itself, and then hear about reasons for objecting to national service. Although, as I said, for some women the ideas are so intertwined that trying to keep them separate doesn't really work. As always, I don't mention the names of every single person you'll hear, but you will find a complete list of names in order, on the website, womenconscriptionwar.com. Firstly, here are four women whose attitudes were influenced by ideas of pacifism or the concept of a just war. Well, I was, I came from a family, my father was a conscientious objector in the Second World War mm. and my family were Labour Party supporters. My father probably would have been a communist except he had differences with the with the way the communists were behaving in Europe and he uh, he he never joined the communist party but he was he basically believed in sort of socialism and in and in peace and in he was totally anti-war obviously mm. and he was an official conscientious objector which meant you were officially in the army. Bizarrely, he has an army record. They went off somewhere or other to a camp I think it was and they trained to be nurses and that's what he did in the Second World War 
And so I come from that sort of background, which, which I'm still dedicated to, that idea of of, fr- of freedom and, and peace and anti-war. Mm. I mean, I'm anti the whole idea of armies anyway. I think <laughs> they should be... I mean, I think the way they're trained, which is to kill, basically to kill people, they have to be trained to... They have to be brainwashed into thinking the people they kill aren't actually human beings like them. Mm. And so they become monsters without even realising so perfectly normal people can become terrible people, as we keep finding out about army generals and things who go wrong. Mm. (laughs) Um, So that's my position. I very deeply feel all that. I came at it Mm. because I wanted justice for everyone and justice for the Vietnamese. I wanted justice for the young men who were coerced into being in the army. The cruelty of that for those young men of putting them in a situation that they had no idea what they were going into just seemed to be so unjust. Well, I was brought up as a Christian. You know, I was baptised, and you know, in my early teens, I was conf- I chose to be confirmed. So, you know, my values were you don't hurt people <laughs> or you try not to hurt people. Yes, yeah, so that's probably how it initiated. Would you have said you were opposed to all war or was there something specific about the Vietnam War? Um, no, I, I think I'd be a pacifist anyway, though, of course, when when I was at an age that if I had been a boy, I could have gone into the ballot you know, I was conscious of the fact that, um, you know, I'd have to... Well, yeah, I mean, I know I wasn't a boy, but, yeah, still myself to, to to say that I was a pacifist, that, you know, no, I, you know, don't want to um, be subscripted, you know, and I would be prepared to go to jail if that was the consequence type of thing. So you were obviously opposed to conscription at the time as well? Yeah, yeah, particularly when it crystallised, you know, and and now we're going to uh, send them to Vietnam. There was a discussion in my sort of social group, which was the Christian Union um, at the university. There was a, an awareness that some of the guys were being conscripted, and that they so there was an awareness mm. of conscription as a thing. And uh, that it actually touched us, that it affected us. Uh, there was not a lot of um, discussion about conscription per se being a bad thing, but just maybe a frightening thing uh, because it was so close to us. But the war itself, that within the Christian Union, there was all the discussion about just war and the philosophy of Christian philosophy of war, and it was pretty clear that this was not a just war. So um, it came more from a theoretical point of view of looking at, well, we're in the middle of this war in our lifetime, and should we be? So um, what were the reasons for thinking that it was not just? Uh, well, I, I mean, now I have to think about that retrospectively yeah. and that that raises questions about being an invading force 
as opposed to um, a rescuing or a um, peacekeeping force. How did you feel about conscription? Did it kind of just get tied into your attitude towards the Vietnam War? Well, I guess we would have been opposed to conscription really generally, even if it wasn't the Vietnam War, because we don't believe we don't we don't believe in predatory wars. We believe in there's two kinds of wars we always believed, what we call just and unjust wars. So a just war is where people struggle to throw off an oppressor or colonial oppressor. And unjust wars are where a wealthier nation goes into another country and, and takes control. So we always saw those kind of wars as unjust wars, yeah. The following women discuss arguments against Australia's involvement for reasons centering on problems of colonialism and the idea of independence for Vietnam as a nation. I thought the French had been in in there and I thought um, they were a colonialist, colonialist power and I felt that um, America had then st- stepped in and carried on exactly the same relationship of oppression with the Vietnamese people. I felt that it was a struggle for independence, um, that America shouldn't have been there and that we shouldn't have joined in. I couldn't see it. At that stage, Vietnam was a country that we'd hardly ever heard of. Maybe that was the first time I'd heard of it in connection with the, with the war. So I couldn't see why we, we, we would be there. What sorts of things were your parents discussing or was being discussed around the dinner table about the Vietnam War? I mean, I just think they saw it as the, the hot part of the Cold War of the, the West and capitalism trying to suppress national liberation and a communist movement. So I wanted the North Vietnamese to win. I wanted the Viet Cong to win. So it, this was, to me, a war of liberation. I saw the Viet, South Vietnamese as corrupt. And I think since, and I actually know a little bit about it now, which I didn't, you know, the legacy the French left was so appalling and the fact that uh, America would not reach out to Ho Chi Minh, that he was more of a nationalist than he was a communist. And so, yet again, America screwed it up and it could have had saved a lot of lives if they could have swallowed their, their capitalist pride and help Vietnam unite, but they went and backed this very, very sleazy group. Um, and, the, you know, the French were very, very bad co- colonisers, as were the British. And I, I did have some awareness of that because my mother was French herself and came from Algeria. So the family was aware of what colonising does. I mean, I think I still thought the British were better than anyone else, but I now know they weren't. You know, and I think that at that time I very simplistically just simply wanted the North Vietnamese to win, which made me a traitor, I suppose. I was so angry because what I saw was a defenceless, poor country being absolutely decimated in the most brutal, terrible ways. And I've never changed my mind since. In fact, the more you learn, the more evil you realise it is. When you realise what they did to the land and they not only assaulted the people, but they assaulted the 
land itself. So I saw it as a, an assault on life, as fundamental as that. I think that the feeling really angry that here was another country that was seeking to be independent in its own right and first having got rid of the French, then the Americans came in and to, to, to keep that sort of imperial colonial control and with Australia saying, yep, we'll, we'll come in too. And it just was so wrong. It was almost like a David and Goliath kind of battle. And so immense, immense admiration for Vietnamese people and the Viet Cong and their determination and their skill at defending their own country and what they believed in. I was aware of well, that the Vietnamese supported the Allies during the war against the Japanese, whereas the French, because they were part of the Vichy French, who were the colonists there, they supported the Japanese. So, yeah. so Ho Chi Minh was had, had American support yeah. in against the Japanese, in and then promised that they'd get, help them have independence and paid the French to go back in. So it was pretty perfidious. One of the accusations sometimes levelled against people who protested against the Vietnam War is that they themselves were communist, or at least sympathetic to communist ideas. Sometimes that was just slander, but sometimes it was true, as for the following women. By 1965, when Australia's getting involved in Vietnam, was that like right at the start was that something that you were interested in paying attention to early on oh yeah yes i really sort of thought by then i thought you know that was a really really bad mistake for a country to be getting involved in that why was and it a mistake for you well i i guess cuz i thought we had no business being uh, getting involved in it, and and I didn't believe all by then the accepted view of it. I I didn't, for instance, believe that uh, in the you know the domino theory about if you know if this country changes its allegiance that you know it's just a <laughs> another step towards us all being overrun by the yellow horde. At that stage, were you kind of sympathetic to communist ideas or more just live and let live? Oh, yeah. No, by that time I decided that I certainly I, – I believed in socialism. I mean, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be having tickets on myself if I called myself a Marxist because I <laughs> haven't done the study. <laughs> but, yeah, I, broadly – I, I, I accept Marxist ideas, yeah. I did from probably from my mid-teens. My father was a communist, so um, he'd, he'd lived in the United States, so he hadn't been in the Communist Party here, but um, he was in the Communist Party in the United States. So I was absolutely plugged into the Vietnam War from the beginning. And... Yeah. I mean, I guess it's an obvious question and probably some obvious answers, but what sorts of things were you talking about? What were the objections to Vietnam War? Well, I suppose just purely, you know, because my father was an old believer, 
um, we just thought that it was, you know, outrageous that the United States um, had got itself involved in a part of the world that was not their business and they had no right to be there and that um, they were there because, you know, and this so often happened with the United States, that, you know, there was a legally elected government that they were actually opposing something that had been legally um, voted for. And so that was it. But, you know, then the other thing really, the thing that, I, you know, other people probably have mentioned to you is that that was on the news every night, every mm. night, every single night. And so you couldn't, you know, I, I really don't understand the people who, um, I just think, how come you weren't aware of it? And it just, well, people were, but it just took them a long time to, a longer time. Yep, clearly. So you said uh, we in terms of opposing the Vietnam War. So even in your teens when you are at school, you were on board with your dad's perspective? Absolutely. Yeah, I was a member of the Communist Party. Right. Uh, from Can I ask from, from what age you were involved in the Communist Party? Yes, uh, let me think. Um, it would have been in 19... Well, my daughter was born in 54. It would have been 1956 was when I joined. So then when Australia gets involved in the Vietnam War, what's, what's your reaction to that moment? Um, absolutely opposed to the Vietnam War. Um, we, we saw it as... Um, a power-grabbing exercise by the United States on a country that had been struggling for years against the French. Another reason expressed for objecting to Australia's involvement in Vietnam was the idea that Australia was mindlessly following the United States. These women believed that Australia should be deciding its own foreign policy rather than blindly following the United States for whatever reason. A note before we get into this part, the first speaker, Kay, mentions the domino theory or domino effect. This is a political theory held by some during the Cold War that one country, especially in Asia, becoming communist, might then have a knock-on effect or a domino effect such that other surrounding countries would also become communist. It was sometimes touted as a reason for stopping communism in any country. Well, we knew the, the American government was lying, lying and lying and lying. Mm. We'd been involved with them. They were in, we were in lockstep with that. We wanted an independent foreign policy in the Labor Party then, but we were fighting over it. Uh, what that might look like. I was opposed to it in, in almost any way you could think of. I was opposed to Australia being involved in a war that was in Vietnam. The Vietnam um, uh, didn't have anything to do with us, I felt. I didn't believe in the, um, yes. the theory that they had, which was oh, about the domino. domino. The mm. domino effect. I felt it was bullshit. Australia only went there to kick to kiss American ass, yeah. as just as they went to Afghanistan and every other war that it's apart from World War Two, in which we were very late to take part. 
otherwise certainly everything post-war that we've done, Korea and so on and so on, it's all been, you know, to, as I say, to kiss American ass and under the misguided belief that if we ever got into any trouble ourselves, then um, the Americans would come to our aid. And I know full well that the Americans will come to our aid if and only when it suits them politically and financially and diplomatically and every other elite. I never thought um, that Australia should be engaged and I certainly didn't think that the Americans should be engaged. My journey started when I was doing my matriculation year at a private girls' school in Melbourne and both my parents fairly conservative and I had a, a history teacher who or politics, political science teacher who was wonderful. And she, she discussed the Vietnam War. So we're talking 1967 and I was our age and I really started to get involved and have a look at it. I mean, I knew we were involved in it, but I didn't sort of take a lot of interest. I didn't think we should be sending our soldiers to fight in a war that had nothing really to do with us. And I think I was slightly anti-American and I didn't like the idea of following what Americans did. And I just didn't understand the rationale behind it. I mean, it was a war in country between the North and the South. Obviously America was spooked, but I didn't understand the rationale behind it. Menzies announced in December, 1964, that he was going to bring in conscription for overseas service. Now, I had always, and still am, very interested in our region. So I knew a lot about Vietnam. I knew the history of Vietnam. And I knew about the secret war that America was carrying out in Laos and creeping into Vietnam and, and Cambodia. And Australia had been Australia asked, actually, whether they could go and kill some people in Vietnam. And they finally invited us, not straight away, the Americans. Uh, and then the government said it was through ANZUS. And it wasn't through ANZUS, again, if one understood the history of, of all this. So I knew that this was why he introduced conscription to join the war in, in, in Vietnam. And so I obviously opposed it. I couldn't understand, and I thought it was wrong that we went to another country and got involved. I was also pretty anti-American. I remember I wanted to go around and blow up. There was one McDonald's in Victoria Parade and so I had this great thing. I was going to ride there on my bike. I don't know where I was going to get a bomb from and bomb it. It was really stupid. But, you know, that was, I, I was very, there was a very strong anti-American sort of, a, a sort of resentment that they thought they could tell you what to do and tell your politicians what to do. So it was an anti-American thing, but it was primarily just like, why on earth would we be involved? Yeah. And, you know, the domino theory, I thought, well, that's a neat image, but it doesn't actually make any sense to me. You know, I did, so it was just thinking about those sort of issues and I guess discussing it with peers. We move now to reasons for why women objected to the National Service Act, conscription. One of the reasons was the way that the process was actually undertaken. 
As you'll hear these women recall and mentioned in the introductory episode, birth dates were chosen at random using a barrel that could as easily have been used to choose the numbers in a lottery. Oh, well, I thought it was pretty awful because, you know, there was... um, They used to have it on TV, if I remember. They used to show you the numbers coming up. It was like, I don't... I'm not sure if this is true or not. It seems to me it was a bit like you saw it like a lottery, like the lottery is done on the TV. Now, whether that's true, I can't... I don't really remember. But that was the feeling I got when they were doing it, that they had all these little little, uh, alleys, you know, and uh, if your number came up, your number came up, and off you went. You know, it was it was pretty disgusting, really. Well, I thought the whole thing yeah. was grossly unfair. The way right. you know, the way young men were picked out on uh, on the whim of it, well, so it seemed to be, you know, on a capricious bloody marble turning up. And I was appalled by the notion of conscription. Absolutely appalled. I just know I was horrified that conscription, and particularly in such a way, pulling numbers out of a hat, you know. I mean, it was somehow so disrespectful to the young men who were, without a vote, being sent off to fight in a war that I certainly didn't believe in, and they wouldn't have known what it was about. Finally, there were, of course, sometimes very personal reasons for objecting to the National Service Act in particular, as is the case for the following women. The first speaker, Kelly, mentions living in Ormond. This is a residential college attached to Melbourne University. But I made a friend whose brother was called up and she was really upset. But my memory's a bit hazy about it. So my memory of it was that he was called up and that we went, I went with her to have dinner with her parents. And they were very upset. And suddenly this war got a whole new picture to it. It was about people I knew. I started to get a sense that she wasn't the only one who was being affected. Then I started thinking about the guys who were living in Ormond and going to uni and they were sort of right in line for calling up too. And so there was this thing that it suddenly got a reality about it I didn't understand the politics of it, really. For me, I think the National Service came first. But then, I, I suspect partly because we started hearing more and more and more about what was happening, and also I was more alert to it, so I looked for it. It, it, it became, we've got to stop this, this is terrible. And I do wonder a bit, you know, sort of thinking about it now, I mean, I think probably... The people my age then had been raised by people who'd gone through the Second World War. So there was a sense of both uh, we don't want Australians to die like our parents, brothers and sisters did, and we don't want our friends to go off to war. So your mum, you said, was opposed to probably war in general and certainly Mm. Australia and Vietnam. Was there more opposition to the war or to conscription or to, did the two things kind of feel almost like the same issue? Well, they were certainly intertwined. You could hardly separate them. So um, I think uh, we're opposed to all of them. And mm. my, my brothers were certainly looking at being conscripted or or not. Uh, I know my boyfriend uh, 
missed out on conscription, but I can't remember whether my brothers were uh, in the ballot or not. So mm. we used to listen to the ballot fairly um, keenly to see which birthdays came out and which ones didn't. Uh, I had a cousin that um, skipped out altogether for <laughs> just after the ballot, one wow. of the ballots, and uh, became a draft dodger. Uh, hooked up with Jeannie McLean, I think, and um, disappeared for a while. They were certainly intertwined uh, with a really immediate personal impact. What I was really aware of was the fact that um, boys who were being called up didn't have the vote. And, you know, the environment I grew up in, it wasn't a political household, I would say, at all, but it was very, there was a very strong sense of right and wrong and morality that, you know, I think my parents and my aunts, who I also lived with my grandfather, had a really strong moral compass. And it was just that sense of, no, this isn't right. I, I didn't have, I wasn't involved from a political it really wasn't a political response, it was a moral response at that time. The politics came later. Thanks for listening to this episode of Women, Conscription and War. If you enjoyed it, maybe you could tell someone else about it or leave a review somewhere to help other people find it. My immense thanks to all the people I spoke to for this episode you can find a complete list of them on my website, womenconscriptionwar.com, as well as a bibliography and some relevant images. My thanks also to Sarah Tomasetti, who gave permission to use her mother, Glenn Tomasetti's music in this project. It's a moment from her song, The Ballad of William White, that you hear between sections throughout this podcast. Mm-hmm.